Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. This morning's reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Well, many years ago, when I was still in high school in France, I was learning how to become a sales associate. And so I had to do an internship in a sports shop and learn from a more experienced man on how to sell a shoe, a running shoe, which has a lot of technicalities. So I remember the first few days I was in that sports shop, I was shadowing that guy who had been selling shoes for a very long time, and I would listen to every little word that would come out of his mouth when he would meet a customer, what kind of word he should use, how he would describe the shoe, how he would conclude the sale, and all these things. And over time, I learned a lot, but I also developed my own personal style of selling shoes. And what it uh, gave me was a structure, a language uh, of a sales associate. And to this day, it really followed me. And even now, as I train people at the Rex Cafe, we uh, give them specific words to use when you come and order a drink, such as, you know, hi, welcome in. Uh, what can I get you today? Oh, you want a uh, medium latte? Uh, how many shots? How many, you know, pumps of syrup? And so on and so forth. We have words we use, uh, and every little barista will develop their own style of asking questions and connecting with customer. It is part of the language of retail. And what we find in this passage that we've heard this morning is the language of prayer that we can make our own, but Jesus in his grace has given us a model of prayer that we can use as a pattern to develop communion and intimacy with God, such as um, sales associates develop their own language in selling product to customers. And I want to unpack this passage with you today, starting from verse 5. And we are going to 
understand a little more what Jesus meant when he gave that teaching. In verse 5, Jesus starts by saying, when you pray, when you pray, the assumption here is that someone who is a disciple of Jesus will pray. Jesus doesn't say if you pray, uh, if one day you pray, but when you pray, meaning if you follow God and you are serious about your walk with God, sooner or later you will have to learn to develop a habit of prayer, of being with God in a secret. And if you've been with Jesus for quite some time and you've decided to follow him, I want to encourage you to think really long and hard about that uh, importance of developing a habit of prayer because it is central for the growth of a Christian, of a disciple of Jesus. John Damascene, who is a uh, church father, gave a very simple definition of prayer saying, prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God. Prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God. And here we hear the mind and the heart. And so often in our Christian circles, we're really interested in being genuine and very sincere when we pray to God. So we want the heart to be raised to God. And sometimes we leave the mind a little bit aside. And one of the main problems that we have in praying is, uh, of course, time, finding time, but also finding words. And I've heard over time so many people giving me that objection to prayer, saying, I don't know what to pray. What am I supposed to say? I don't have the right words. And they hear people praying in public, and they're like, oh, man, I wish one day I would be able to pray like that person. So the language of prayer is very important in uh, developing a prayer life. So if it is raising one's mind and heart to God, both have to be together. If they're not competing with each other, like if I raise my mind, my heart cannot be into it. Now my heart and my mind can be combined in this effort to connecting with God. And Jesus, uh, in his verse 5 to 7, is also addressing the wrong models of prayer that people back in the days as they were hearing Jesus teach would have observed. And Jesus is, uh, first of all, talking about the hypocrites, which could have referred to religious leaders in the day, such as the Pharisees, the scribes, or the Sadducees. And these people were praying very well in public and were noticed by people, but they were praying for the wrong reason. They were praying first and foremost as to be seen by others and not just the, their Father in heaven. And Jesus is also talking about the Gentiles who were heaping up empty phrases before God, repeating the same thing over and over again, thinking that by doing that, they impress God and get what they want. And there is one thing in common between this, these wrong models of prayer is the self-centeredness of their prayer life. They're not praying to be with God. They're praying to be with themselves, really. They're praying so that they will be noticed or that they will impress God. But the center of their prayer starts with them. I am at the center of this prayer life. And Jesus is, of course, condemning these types of prayer by saying there is a better way to pray. There is a deeper way to pray and to be satisfied in God. So this morning, I want to talk about the reason to pray, the structure of prayer, and lastly, the change it brings. The reason to pray, the structure of prayer, and the change it brings. 
So Jesus is telling us that there is a right reason to pray, a right motivation to pray, and it is to get the right kind of reward. He says in verse 5 and 6, Truly I say to you, they have received, uh, meaning the Pharisees or the religious leaders or the Gentiles, they have received their reward. But when you pray, meaning us, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So it is possible for us to pray in a certain way to get the right kind of reward. We can be rewarded by the Father unlike the Pharisees and the Gentiles were rewarded when they were trying to pray. And you see, the reward that the um, religious leaders were getting, the reward that the Gentiles were getting, was not just an answer to prayer. Jesus is not saying here, look, they're praying uh, in public to be seen by others, but God is still answering their prayer. Or the Gentiles are heaping up empty phrases, but God is still answering their prayer request. And what Jesus is saying is by, by praying this way to be seen by others or to impress God, they're really getting what they want. Namely, people are seeing them. People are praising them and they are just impressing themselves. And it is their reward. They're really getting what they want. Let me give you an example. Imagine that a couple is wanting to express their love and in the context of a relationship, the husband doesn't say that often, I love you to his wife. Very rarely. Because in his mind, well, she already knows, so why would I tell her? But he goes on Facebook and tells the world, my wife is a wonderful wife, I love her so much. And the wife happens to log into Facebook and sees the post from her husband saying, I love you. And of course, she is still touched that her husband would do that. But then when her husband comes home, she would probably have a talk with him and saying, um, I don't understand why you're posting this on Facebook saying to the whole world you love me when I don't hear that often from you in the context of our home and our uh, intimacy that you love me. Now, the fact that he said I love you, the fact that he expressed his love is still right. It's a good thing, but it's not the right way. It's not the most genuine way. It's not the deeper way of expressing your love in the context of this relationship. And that's what Jesus is really saying here. They're praying... And their prayer has some validity, but it's for the wrong reason. It's not genuine. It doesn't have the heart of God behind it. So you and I can enter a prayer life seeking a better reward, a right kind of reward. And this has to do with the discipline of secrecy. It's about praying when no one is looking. It's about shutting the door to distraction, to noise, to hurriness, to busyness, to all the demands of life for a moment, a sacred moment, where we can connect with the Father. And Jesus is saying and promising us here that when we do that, when we are able to shut the doors to all these distractions and no one else is looking and we are alone with the Father, we will be rewarded. Not that God is promising us that each time we do that, He will give us what we want. He will give us that car or that house or that job that we've been praying for but it's about a deeper satisfaction of the heart where we experience his peace, his joy, a sense of rest, a sense of fulfillment in being in the presence of the Father. And these realities that we can experience in a secret are eternal realities. They will follow us for eternity. And that's the reward we should be after. Not just get our uh, prayer requests answered, but being in intimacy 
with the Father. Again, it has to do with the discipline of secrecy. And I want to ask you the question this morning, have you developed that discipline of secrecy where you are able in your life to find a space, to find a moment, to find a room where you can really shut the door and be private and be secret when you know that no one is going to pay attention, but it's just going to be you and the Father. Now, that might be a scary moment because you will really be vulnerable and expose yourself, but it's a safe place where you can be with the Father. And it could be a room in your house. Uh, maybe you don't have a house. Maybe you have an apartment or a studio, or maybe you live with housemates, or maybe you've got you know, crazy kids running around you all the time, all the day. So it has to be uh, creative. It has to be a moment in the day where you know you won't have any distractions. It could be a bathroom. It could be a park. It could be a rest area. It could be a, uh, a pause when you're working and you find a, a, um, a room in your workplace where no one else will come and interrupt you. Whatever it is, it has to be developed in order for you to enter the right kind of prayer life that Jesus is encouraging us to have. This is the right kind of reward that the Father is promising us. He will meet you there. Let me promise you that this morning. The Father is a good Father and He will meet you there if you make the time and the space for it. Now I move on to my second point, which is the structure of prayer. and has to do with learning the language of prayer because prayer is a language. Prayer is talking to God. It's using words. Of course, you can be in silence and solitude and have fellowship with God by sensing His presence, but prayer involves using words. And so often, we're really wanting to be so sincere that if we feel like our heart is not into it, we won't pray. We will leave prayer aside or we won't make time for it because we'll know that we're so busy and distracted and stressed and, 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 and wanting to be so honest, we fear going to God by, by exposing our heart that is really not into prayer. But Jesus is saying that the real solution to heaping up empty phrases like the Gentiles were using in their prayer life is not silence. Silence is not the answer. The answer to these wrong, wrong kind of prayers is not silence. It is well, biblical, articulated prayer. And Jesus is so good and brilliant in giving us a model of prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And I want to give you a word of caution here because so often in our contemporary churches, we've been really moving very, very far away from the idea of ritual and rhythm and habits and liturgy fearing that all these forms of prayer, all these pre-written prayers are dangerous for us because they're formal or they, they don't have any life in it. And I don't want to be a dead Christian. I want to be vibrant. I want to be spontaneous. I want my prayer life to be exciting. And there's nothing wrong with wanting these things, but you're not realistic because 365 days of your life a year will be full of bored days where you're really bored, where you're stressed, where you're tired. Ask a mom who has three kids or four kids or five kids to develop an intense, energetic, vibrant prayer life from morning as soon as she gets up, she's ready to pray and engage with God. I doubt that would be the case most of the days of her life because those days will be full of distractions and interruptions. Hence the importance of receiving a model of prayer, someone who's done the hard work for us. You see, liturgy literally means the work of people. 
people having worked for us to give us material patterns that we can use to pray to God. We engage with our mind. And you know often what happens when we start engaging with God with our mind? Our heart will follow. And you can do that by praying a psalm, by singing a psalm. You can pray also the Lord's Prayer. And I love what Ronald Rollheiser in his book, uh, Prayer, A Deepest Longing, says when it comes to this idea of habit and uh, patterns and rituals of prayer. Too often, we are left with the impression that all prayer should be high celebration, upbeat, with high energy. The more variety, the better. Longer is better than shorter. No wonder we often lack the energy to pray and want to avoid church services. The solution is not so much new prayer forms and more variety, but rhythm, routine, and established ritual. You see how much validity our ritual and our habits have in the prayer life. Because you and I are weak. We are subject to temptations and to tiredness, and we need something to carry us. This is why we turn to scripture and we turn to books and songs to lift us up in our prayer life. And this is why Jesus has given us that wonderful model of prayer called, called the Lord's Prayer. So I want to talk about this Lord's Prayer and I want to unpack it by using this model from uh, James Packer, a famous theologian who wrote the book Praying the Lord's Prayer. And he, here's how he breaks it down in three parts. Three questions really asked by God to us. First, who do you take me for? And what am I to you? This is God asking us this question as we approach him. And our answer should be, you are my father in heaven. Who do you take me for? What am I to you? You are my father in heaven. And you see, the real genuine prayer life starts by understanding that God is our father. God is not this distant being somewhere in the sky that I have to reach out to so hard in order to get his attention. No, prayer, uh, according to Jesus, starts by understanding that God is for me, that God has forgiven me, that God accepts me, that God is this loving Father who embraces me, who welcomes me in his court, and I don't have to repeat the same thing over and over again. I don't have to be an expert in using certain language and certain words to make sure that he will hear me. No, God is already willing and wanting to be with me. And if you've never experienced the intimacy of a father, God as a father, my guess is that it will be tremendously hard for you to pursue a prayer life because prayer life without the fellowship and the closeness of a father is hard. I don't want to pray to a God who one day might be good, one day might be bad, might they, might, one day might be angry, one day might be okay with me. I want to pray to a God who 24-7 will be open-armed, ready to receive me, ready to listen to me, ready to have fellowship with me. God is your Father. So if you are struggling in your prayer life, maybe the first way to start um, engaging more in prayer might be to really spend some time uh, reading scriptures that talks about the heart of the Father. And the Aramaic word that describes dad in, um, in the Bible is Abba, Abba Father. We have entered this wonderful reality that God can be so close that we can call him dad. You are so close to me. I love you. We can experience his love. So let me encourage you to spend some time 
digging deeper into that reality before you move on into the language of prayer. So who do you take me for? What am I to you? You are my Father in heaven. And then we move on to the question, what do you really want the most? What do you care about the most? This is God asking us this question. And then our answer should be the hallowing of your name, the coming of your kingdom, to see your will known and done. This is where we get our priorities right. This is where we center our heart on the right uh, purposes for our lives and the right plans. This is where we want God's plan to be manifested even and through us. This is where we are interested in seeing the rule of God being manifested, yes, in my life, but in the world. This is where we ask God to make things right when it is not right. This is where we ask God where there is disease and sickness. God, please bring your kingdom, bring your rule, bring your healing, because we know that this is your desire to bring the realities of heaven on earth. You see, it moves in that direction. So often we want to escape the hard realities of this world, and we are asking God, please help me escape. Help me avoid all these um, trials and tribulations. But the Lord's Prayer move, moves into a different direction. We are asking God's realities to be made r- real here on earth. So I'm praying a dangerous prayer because I'm involved and also putting myself out there saying, God, I need to be used. I want to be used by you to make these realities here on earth as it is in heaven. The hallowing of your name is really asking God, I want your name to be famous. I want your name to be noticed. I want your name through my life, through the way I live my life today and through the way the church uh, expresses itself today. I want your name to be revered. I want your name to be recognized as holy, as powerful, as glorious. This is a dangerous prayer, but this is a, a necessary prayer. And I want your will to be done. I don't want just my plans to be done. I want your will to be done. See, so often we approach God and we're saying to God, God, I have wonderful plans for my life. Can you please hear them? So here, here are my plans, God. And I really hope that through this prayer time that I have with you, my plans, God, will become your plan because I really have some great ideas on how I could have a better life today. And it starts with my bank account. And... <laughs> Often we really want to twist things around with the way we, do God, we, we deal with God. It's like we're doing business with God. But really, the first part of his Lord's Prayer is all about God and his glory and his purposes for our lives and the world. It's a global vision of his uh, rule for the world. I love what Richard Foster in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, says about this part of prayer. In prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him, to desire the things he desires, to love the things he loves, to will the things he wills. Progressively, we are taught to see things from his point of view. This is what asking the hallowing of his name is. I'm changing perspective. I'm changing my point of view. I'm stepping into God's sphere and I'm asking him that my desires will be his, that his desires will be mine, I guess I should say. It's really about surrender. It's about shifting my priorities. And then the third part of that prayer is God asking, so what are you asking right now as a means to that end? Because now that I have my priorities right, I know I'm in a better position to really ask what I do need because God 
cares about my daily needs as well. He's a good father who is interested in that. And this is where I ask for provision, for pardon, for protection. Protection from temptation, pardon, because uh, repentance and confession of sin is a part of a prayer life. And I think it should be specific. So often we think of all the sins that are in our lives and we kind of want to have a blanket prayer saying, God, there's a lot of things that are going wrong, done a lot of bad things. Please, I hope you forgive that. But you know, we are called to be specific before the Lord. And it could be a prayer like, God, yesterday I did really snap. I snapped at my kids. I was angry. I shouldn't have yelled this way. I was short with my wife when she asked me something and I was distracted. God, would you please forgive me and help me to become a better husband. Help me to be servant-hearted. Help me to be more loving and patient. You see how prayer can be very specific, especially when it comes to asking for pardon and help in changing. And I can ask for provision. I can ask for, I can present my needs to God. He does care about that. I'll go on now to my last part, which is the way prayer changes us, the change it brings. Jesus says in verse 14 and 15, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, when we hear that verse, we could be scared because we might think to ourselves, well, I am still wrestling with a lot of unforgiveness in my heart. I guess God will never forgive me as long as I hold on to these things. Mm, I got so much work to do. And I... I really empathize if you are feeling this way this morning, but I don't think it's exactly what Jesus is getting at through uh, this teaching. I think that what Jesus is asking us is to change our heart posture. It's to enter a position where we are merciful. Like he said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful. And when we have truly experienced intimacy with the Father in prayer, in genuine prayer, there's no way this can leave us unchanged. If you are forgiven by the Father, if you've been touched by love, touched by grace, my guess is that you will want to forgive. You will want to move into a direction of mercy, of forgiveness. On the one hand, if you've really been touched and forgiven, it's going to be easier to forgive. And on the other hand, if you hold on to bitterness, and you hold on to this, all these bad thoughts, it's really hard to pray. It's really hard to enter prayer and be really connecting with God well when all I can think of is this person hurting me, this person being wrong with me. You see how the, the two, goes, two go one in hand. It's interdependent. My relationship with God is interdependent with my relationship with others. But I can find in the courts of our God the strength, the mercy to be a merciful person. This is how prayer changes us. But if we are unwilling to change, prayer will be very difficult. This is where we need to be vulnerable and open-hearted. And of course, it is so much easier to do that once we realize that God is our Father. Again, I go back to this idea of fatherhood. To quote again Richard Foster on, in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, here's what he says about change in prayer. To pray is to change. To praise, to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, 
we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. So prayer is a dangerous thing, but it is a necessary thing for us to change, to be uh, molded in the image of Jesus. And so I want to leave you with a challenge as we begin the year 2024 to make it a year where we can develop a prayer life, not leaning on our own performances and our own capacities, but really leaning on what Jesus has given us in this text. I want to ask the worship band to come back up and we're going to do something to respond to that uh, teaching from Jesus by singing the Lord's Prayer. Again, I go back to this idea that we have structure, we have language that Jesus has left us, that we can even sing out to express our adoration, our dependence upon God. So I want to ask you to stand to your feet at this moment and sing with us the Lord's Prayer. And you may have noticed that in both uh, passages that uh, the Lord's Prayer is present in Luke and in Matthew, that last part, for to you belong the glory, the honor, and the power forever and ever, amen, is not present in the text, and it's not because it's not valid. It's not because we should not sing it out or pray it out. It was just not present in the earliest manuscripts. But the first uh, Christians were singing it and using it as part of their worship, so we should do that too. So let's sing out together the Lord's Prayer, and may the Lord encourage you in your prayer life to go deeper, to know that the Father is for you, and that there's a great reward attached to that. Amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola, or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it, so please drop us a note.